Welcome to the Real Python Podcast. This is episode 179. Are you getting by with a few fundamental commands for Git when building your Python projects? Would you like to improve your version control techniques and become more efficient with the Git command line? This week on the show, Adam Johnson is back to talk about his new book, Boost Your Git DX. Adam brings advice for creating a Git configuration, enabling autocorrect, and customizing a global ignore file. He researched through the cryptic documentation and found the valuable developer settings, so you won't have to. Adam also shares tools and settings to speed up your terminal workflows. We discuss configuring ZSH, creating aliases, and comparing diffs. We briefly dig into the most recent update to Django and his work on the project. This episode is brought to you by TyPy. If you're looking for an all-in-one solution for building and deploying web applications in Python, TyPy has you covered. With TyPy, you can easily make the front end, back end, and the deployment. All right, let's get started. The Real Python Podcast is a weekly conversation about using Python in the real world. My name is Christopher Bailey, your host. Each week, we feature interviews with experts in the community and discussions about the topics, articles, and courses found at realpython.com. After the podcast, join us and learn real-world Python skills with a community of experts at realpython.com. Hey, Adam, welcome back to the show. Oh, thank you for having me. Yeah, it was just over a year ago that we were talking about your your previous book. And I'm excited to have you back on the show and learn what you've been up to in the last year or so. Uh, thank you. Yeah, it's it was start of 2022. I managed to get the last one out. And here we are approaching the end of 2023 with another one. That's pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> so when did you actually start working on Boost Your Git DX? It was after my son was born in November last year. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. I had taken a break from client work and I was, you know, fighting to stay awake through the night looking after him. So I was getting on the laptop whilst he slept on my chest and I was thinking, what should I do? I <laughs> watched a bit of TV, got bored of that. And I thought I've written a few blog posts about Git recently. Perhaps there could be an opportunity for a book here in the same vein as the last one. And yeah, yeah I found it. Did you feel like there's a lot of areas for improving the developer experience there for uh, Git? Yeah, it's a bit of an odd one. I found I was reflecting on the time I'd spent pairing with people over the last few years. And I realized a lot, a good chunk of it was not the Python stuff or coding or Django, or whatever. It was helping people get through Git command line. Hmm. And I'd spot that, oh, you don't have this one option set, and that's why you have to run something extra every time you run git push, for example. And then I reflected on this during this writing period, and I thought, I don't really know where I learned all this stuff. Like, it's very disparate <laughs> sources. Yeah, like, yeah. There's, there's these hit tweets that come about every once in a while where someone like has, shares like one tweak you can make to your git configuration and then you know it gets 10,000 likes and people are like wow that's right. amazing Can't one believe. magic trick <laughs> exactly <laughs> that's so funny i tried to just collect them all together into a book cool you mentioned pairing so in that 
sort of pair programming, I'm guessing. Yep. And who's that with? Is that with uh, clients or is that through your work or how's that coming up? Yeah, with uh, various clients that I've worked with over the last uh, four years of my consulting work. Okay. I'd often be paired with a developer on a feature to advise on something particular or show them how to set something up that they hadn't done before. And yeah, was finding part of that was we need to figure out how to do the Git stuff. <laughs> yeah, I um, I think I mentioned before in the show, I, I was a, a trainer, worked at the Apple stores for a little while in kind of my weird journey of all the different things I've done in my life. And that would be one of the things I would do the first time I sat down with somebody to train with them. I would say, well, let me just watch you work for a little bit. <laughs> and very often, they just had gotten the new Macintosh computer. And one thing that Apple did that was really kind of weird for most users is they got rid of the button that was for the trackpad. And that confused people completely. They had no idea like how they were supposed to like do something like clicking drag. They would do like this weird crab crawl walk with one finger, then letting go and pushing another finger. And, and I'm like, <laughs> um, you could just use your thumb. Like there was a button there. You can just hold it down uh, like it's a button and then use a different finger to drag. And they were like, oh my God. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was like watching carpal tunnel, you know, <laughs> like manifest. So there's, there's a lot of that. I, I, I agree that there's a lot you can learn just by watching somebody work just for a little while and, you know, shave off those edges. And, and um, definitely in the type of consulting I was doing, which was in uh, recording studios and stuff like that, you know, I would find people, okay, well, you got your microphone backwards. Let's, let's work on that. And let's do, <laughs> yeah. you know, let's do, you know, interesting little simple things that just like instantly made things simpler. So that's cool. So I guess it kind of gets us into a little bit about like why you decided to write this book. Are there Were there other reasons you decided you wanted to write this one? I would say that as I put things together, it was a bit like your example, but if Git, Git is more like it's been designed in a user-hostile way by accident. <laughs> <laughs> sure, sure. So like Apple, they changed the trackpad button just because it's nice, but Git has added all these kind of Features that would help the user, but for backwards compatibility, backwards compatibility like being king, they'll never like mm -hmm. turn something on by default or change something by default. So there may be ten to twenty like top options that I think should be on by default, but uh, they're not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then even knowing, I would say the majority of users' experience to get this is an assumption is um, they've been told to install it and you need to know these three commands and that's it, you know, and then the other person walks away or the article stops talking about it because it doesn't want to be focused on, <laughs> on Git, right? Mm -hmm. So, yeah, that's interesting. I think it's, I think that's definitely the situation for a lot of developers and the Git docs don't help because they're, they're inscrutable. Like, they use like four or five different terms for the word commit. Oh. They use very low level terminology and they could do with a pass through to make them a bit more accessible at this point. Yeah. This is something you mentioned when you were on um, an episode of Django Chat and that you had become a contributor. And I think that might be kind of interesting. Uh, uh, point because we're recording this in October. It's going to probably come out in, in the beginning of November. But this is the a common month for people to get into contributing. And mm -hmm. 
do you think that's something that they would be open to <laughs> contributing to their documentation and hopefully, you know, in a way improving it some? Yes, I found the Git community is very welcoming uh, in general. It's just very hard to get involved because okay. it doesn't use GitHub or anything. There's no pull request or fancy UI. Uh, it continues to use the email-based workflow that um, Git started with and was originally designed around. Yeah, that needs some lessons right there, probably, to, <laughs> yeah. to set up. I think you mentioned something about it had to be like pure text or pure html no <laughs> nothing fancy which is pretty rare like everything's pretty much mime today even gmail in in a sense the web version of it it's, it's got all the fancy bits in it so yep. yeah well the git <laughs> workflow continues to work for those core git developers who do all of their email on the terminal as well as their git <laughs> uh, there you go <laughs> nice so we, we talked a little bit about why and when it's interesting because the intended audience, we're kind of hitting them a little bit here, like people that literally are raising their hand right now going, me, <laughs> I, I need help with this, uh, other things. Um, who are the people that you could think of that would be a good audience for this book? If you use command line Git on a daily basis is what I would say. Okay. So, yeah, a lot of people use the Git GUI and that's, that's brilliant. That works well for a lot of people. The command line is a preference for others. And I think you can only do the more advanced stuff with the command line. Like GUIs tend to not have buttons for everything. Yeah. That's fine. But uh, if you like to use the command line Git, then look into this and you might pick up a few tips. Okay, cool. I kind of have a question that's sort of a meta question that, that's about, mm -hmm. you've now done three books and we talked a lot about improving your Django developer experience through Django DX. Uh, we didn't mention the first one a whole lot. What were some of the things that changed in the process? Or did you, know, did you develop some new techniques as you went in to write this book? I've, I feel like that muscle is a bit more developed okay. of writing, going through the process, going from I've got an idea to I should draft out a table of contents to I should start expanding on the sections and seeing what fits and what doesn't. Do a bit of research and realize that I would like the book to cover this stuff and not that stuff. That whole process, it feels a bit more refined now, which is nice. Hmm. One nice addition that I, a tooling-wise is Grammarly on this book. So okay, it found a lot of like small grammar improvements sure so commas and hyphens and whatever that i realized actually i wasn't spelling things out in the clearest manner so i hope that makes things a little bit more accessible especially for folks who don't speak english as a first language yeah 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 i have trouble sometimes with grammarly trying to figure out like you know i write these intros for the podcast mm -hmm. and i do a few other little things here and there i still haven't quite figured out the the voice thing you know like like what voice i want to write it in and and, and so forth because sometimes the suggestions like i really want it to be i'm going to speak this thing and that's not really a setting yep. <laughs> so i can imagine were there <laughs> was were there settings that you finally became comfortable with in in the suggestions and just ignored others I I think I tweaked it a bit. I definitely had to add a lot of things to its dictionary. Hmm. And I, I I gradually adopted a slight more formal tone for this book over the last two. Yeah. And 
I, I went through quite a lot of reader feedback as well on this one. So I did an early access. I have a system yeah. where you can send a suggestion at the end of each page. And readers actually tended to prefer this slightly less fun words in the text. Just <laughs> tell me the facts and get on with it in the uh, okay. shortest amount of space. So I figured, okay, we'll go with it. I still keep up with like whimsical examples. So you won't sure. see any any boring examples about food or bar or ah, nice. a bookstore. You're, they'll all be... Pokemon and whatever. Yeah, that's always been a, a pet peeve of mine. <laughs> yeah, that's good. I was going to say, like, is was that a new process of having people get an early access, and and maybe did that help in navigating later chapters and stuff? Uh, totally helped a lot. Um, I've received at least like a thousand little bits of feedback from the people who worked with me on uh, reading early editions and uh, sending in their comments through this link that's still there in every chapter. So I, I hope to improve future updates. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, it's very helpful. And compared to the previous books where I thought, oh, I just should have like three technical reviewers, which is kind of what O'Reilly does, or yeah, yeah. I should do 100 beta readers and then um, I, that should be enough. Like. 100 beta readers, only 20 people actually replied, give or take. So getting early access readers in through the door really helped refine the text and figure out what's useful. They have a vested interest too, I think, right? Yeah, exactly. It's like I've already put some money into this thing. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, skin in the game. (laughs) Yeah, that's cool. Was there a a specific thing that you were like, wow, this is the thing I'm most excited to, to share in this book? Um, <laughs> the whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> sure. It it's split into two halves. The first half covers like quite a lot of global stuff you can do that will make general command line Git more enjoyable. And then the second half dives into each of the specific commands like commit, add, reset, log, ref log, and more advanced commands. Being like if here's how to use it for the more advanced ones and here are some options that you might want to enable that make it slightly more pleasant okay so but pretty much right after the first chapter where you kind of just getting laying the groundwork of like what this book's about and, and and so forth your second chapter digs right into that global stuff like you mentioned and i thought maybe we could talk about a few of the things that are in there one of the things that I think a lot of people aren't aware of that I learned by just kind of reading about this is the, the idea that you can create a global ignore file, which I think is really pretty cool. It might save some some effort uh, on people's part. Uh, maybe we could start with, you know, what is a git ignore file? Yeah, sure. A git ignore file is a series of patterns that tell git to ignore certain files. It will never show them in git status. It will never add them when you git add them and you'll never commit them. So you might choose to ignore your IDE's directory. Okay. That is generated like the dot code directory that VS code generates. Sure. I think it's called dot code. And yeah, one pattern that I see newer developers using git is that they'll come to a project and they'll use their IDE and their first commit in the project will be to ignore their IDE's directory in that project because they'll be like, hey, now I joined the team, I need to make sure I don't commit these files that are my IDE updates all the time. Right. The global ignore file would let you do that once and tell Git never in any project should you commit 
the .code directory, for example. Yeah. Other common things that you would probably want to leave out might be platform-specific, like the stuff for an operating system. Yeah. Like on a Mac, there's this kind of odd set of files, these uh, .ds store files. Yeah. I don't know what they do. <laughs> <laughs> right, yeah. And they're hidden, so very often you're kind of unaware that they're they're getting committed or or even copied in there. So that's a, a common one that, like, platform-wise, you might say, hey, do this. And then, depending on if you're a particular developer, then you might also think about, like, well, I only work on Python code, then I might choose some Python-specific stuff. Like, like, what would be in that list? The list for Python, I'd say, is actually shrinking, okay. which is an interesting thing we can talk about in a second. But yeah, sure. for example, you might never want to commit your virtual ems. So yeah. .vim uh, might be a pattern you add there. But that is where the, the list is shrinking. Uh, several Python tools have started dropping their own git ignore direct file into their directory. Hmm. So when you run PyTest, it has a cache directory. Okay. And now it, it puts a, well, for some time now, it puts a git ignore file in that cache directory that says entirely ignore this directory. Hmm. So you run PyTest, it creates the directory, but git will never see it. No one ever accidentally commits it. The virtual env package, which is like the original way of creating virtual environments, yeah. has for some time done the same thing. And Python 3.13 has just merged a feature, thanks to Brett Cannon, to do the same in the Vemv module. So, okay, yeah, that should be the end of people pushing their virtual environments up to get <laughs> Yeah, at least make it a lot more rare. A lot more rare, yeah. Yeah, that takes up some quite a bit of space, you know, with <laughs> yeah. all the different packages they're including in that environment and, and so forth, yeah. And and it pollutes search results. Sometimes I'm searching for like, is this feature in Django used? And then you find like there's 10,000 uses and then you dig in and you're like, ouch, these are all the Django package just copied over <laughs> and over again. <laughs> yeah, I'm finding all this extra stuff. Would uh, the PYC files be something there, the, the compiled files that are yes. generated when yeah. you're in? Okay. Those are something you'd probably want in a per-repository ignore because every developer on your project will be generating those files and not wanting to commit them. Okay, yeah. So the concept there that's kind of unique then is that your people may be used to the idea of having this, you know, ignore file in their project folder so that they're making sure that they're not, you know, committing it and sending it and so forth. But how's the global version of that work? How do you set that up? So the modern way to do it is to have a .config directory in your home directory, and in that, have a git directory, and in that, you can create an ignore file. It's just the plain name ignore. Okay. So it's .config slash git slash ignore. If you haven't used the .config directory for your git config, you may have used the home directory slash dot git config for your global git config file. That's kind of the legacy way of doing it. Oh, okay. In the book, I'm promoting the, using the new dot config directory. Okay. That's the kind the of standard. <laughs> doesn't pollute your home directory with like four or five different git files. All right. Yeah. Keep it all in a, the dot config, which can hold a variety of other quote unquote configuration things for different applications or whatever. Yeah. It's a standard. There are several standards, really, because on, on Mac, you might also have your library directory and whatever. But yeah, many tools use the home.config directory. And cool. that just keeps things tidy. 
If you're looking for an all-in-one solution for building and deploying web applications in Python, TyPy has you covered. With TyPy, you can easily make the front-end, back-end, and the deployment. Forget learning advanced CSS and JavaScript. Instead, use a simple syntax to create multi-page dashboards and GUIs with only Python and augmented markdown. TyPy is also designed to build powerful, customizable data-driven backend applications. It provides components to organize and manage data through data flow orchestration and pipelines. Each pipeline execution is referred to as a scenario. Scenarios are stored, recorded, and actionable, enabling what-if analysis and KPI comparison. TyPy is designed to reduce your development time radically and provides all the functionalities you need to build and deploy entire applications. So what are you waiting for? Pip install TyPy. That's T-A-I-P-Y. So what are, are there other things that you want to mention that we could talk about that are sort of global, global stuff, <laughs> uh, get-wise? One of the things I meant I noticed was the, the idea of backing up your configurations. Yeah, that's something that I find uh, very important. Like, once you start putting a bit of effort into configuring any tool, it's a really good idea to back up those files so that if your if your laptop dies, if you need to move to another one, or if you're setting up a server that you want to work the same, you can download those files uh, from your backup. Okay. And a Git repo is a perfect way to back them up. <laughs> Except for you wouldn't have the ignore this time. <laughs> or whatever, you have these different until files. You, that are until you in. set it up, yes, Git will yeah. work differently. But yeah. you, hopefully that's just a couple commands. Oh yeah, so that you feel like that's a common place to store it, is to yeah. just put it along with your other stuff? Okay. I, I recommend an easy way of doing it, which is create a rep repository and then put the files in there and use sim links in the real parts. Uh um, so you might have a repository that has a, a git directory with an ignore file. And then in the real .config git directory, there's a sim link. And you can have, actually write a very short shell script that sets those up. Okay. There are more advanced tools that like do these sim links for you or can track files automatically. But I find just doing it the vanilla way is probably the first step you'd want to take to backing up your configuration. Nice. I feel like we hit you know quite a few things on the in the global sort of chapter. Mm -hmm. One of the things that you, I don't know if you kind of explored this and found it on your own, but um, that I find fascinating and it's a common problem that I have typing in the terminal is autocorrect and needing it <laughs> some kind of version of that. Uh, I I don't know how there's a handful of words I'm always just it, it's like a form of. Uh, I know it's just typos, but it, it feels like you're just inverting letters all the time, just trying to be rapid about like typing a, a common command. So what is this sort of autocorrect thing that you, you were covering in one of your chapters? Oh, yeah. So Git, Git has an autocorrect system. If you type Git and then a command name that is misspelled, like okay. commit with one M, right. then... It, it's already enabled in some form in that it will tell you, hey, you typed commit. That's not a real word. Did you mean commit? Yeah. But then the command dies. And there are other options for the autocorrect system to have it continue automatically to the match if there is a single good match. Okay. Or to ask you, hey, did you mean commit? And then you just type Y, enter, and it'll continue. Okay, so there's three options there. One, it just says... 
it looks like you typed the wrong word. You might have meant this word. We're done. <laughs> yeah. The one of them is automatically going forward and and saying, "Oh, I think you mean this word," and I'm going to go ahead and you actually start to see the command run. Yep. Okay. And then the third, it actually gives you the yes no kind of. Yeah. Like. <laughs> All right. Cool. Is that a, across a handful of uh, other commands that that works, or is it relegated to just like commit? This is all the commands that Git knows about. Um, okay. So you type git add or whatever. If you type it, if you make a typo, it will autocorrect. I like using the immediate mode, by the way. So just fly by the seat of your pants. Be like, oh, you do? You're just like, go for it. Yeah. <laughs> There's very few things that like you can't undo if you don't know if you don't know how. So. Okay. Do you get into a lot of that? Like that. We were talking offline before we started that we both uh, were familiar with a book called uh, Oh Shit Git, uh, <laughs> which is uh, uh, Julie Evans' uh, zine, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, I think she partners with somebody else on it. I'll, I'll include a link for it. But that book, to me, the focus of it is when Git has gone wrong <laughs> and how to kind of recover and uh, a variety of recovery states. Is that something that that you get into there? And I'm, I'm guessing there's a handful of those kinds of things. I'm not sure if that delves too deep into the developer experience, but uh, obviously making mistakes is a, a common uh, thing that you're going to want to come back from. Not only mistakes, but just like, you know, bad choices. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Yeah. I mean, mistakes are necessary to yeah. make progress, really. Sure. If you're not making any mistakes, they're going too slowly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I guess that might be true. <laughs> yeah, the the key command for undoing pretty much anything in Git is called reflog. It's, okay. it's like a meta log. So Git log shows you the log of commits. The reflog shows you the log of how you changed those commits. So if you look at the ref log for a branch, it will show you every time you committed, but also every time you rebased, every time you did commit dash dash amend, hmm. or every time you ran reset and threw away commits. Uh, so in the ref log chapter, I kind of explain a bit about how it works and then a few scenarios that you can undo by using the ref log. It has a lot of overlap there with the oh shit git. Yeah. style of how to undo. Yeah, I think I was aiming to be like a little bit more in depth of like this is the ref log, and if you if you go through these few scenarios and understand it, you should be able to undo other kinds of novel mistakes <laughs> that you might <laughs> might manage to make. <laughs> well, look, you found something new. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. Do you have an example of a gnarly problem like that that you you've used? Uh, ref log to help kind of untangle? Yeah. I mean, even after writing the chapter on ref log, I found okay. myself being like a little bit more confident of doing things without abandon and being like, I can recover this with the ref log. <laughs> like, I've cemented that knowledge now. Like, right. Previously, it was like a handful of Stack Overflow posts that I've found over the years that have been like, I know that you can undo this. How do I do it? Undo it. Um, so yeah, I've I've used a lot of rebasing now and I've been like, well, I'll just try a rebase and throw away these commits and see if the tests still pass. And then if they don't, then I know I can undo the rebase. Okay. So there's a, a, a variety of these like little steps or escalation steps that you can take depending on how how deep of a surgery you want to commit. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> to stuff. Okay. All right. Cool. 
it sounds like you kind of get into a variety of those across there. Yeah. One thing that you were talking about in one of the later chapters is um, kind of more leaning toward a, a terminal side of things of, you know, even maybe moving beyond typos and having an autocorrect is like, oh, I do these commands so often, maybe I want to have an alias for these things. And that's something that's outside of Git at that point. So it's a kind of a nice developer tool. And you were setting it up for a specific terminal. Was it ZSH or ZSH, as you guys like yes. to say? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, um, I'm a big fan of Oh My ZSH, which is a, okay. a project for enhancing ZSH. I think a lot of us are using ZSH now, especially since macOS made it the default. Yeah, the M1 Max and latest stuff seems to be all kind of like, yeah. sorry, we're moving beyond bad. I think you can still get it, but yeah. Yeah, I think most people set up a new laptop or whatever, they get ZSH and they maybe don't even realize to begin with. But <laughs> Here you are. <laughs> <here you> are. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and whether or not you're using Bash or ZSH or something else, I think the aliases that Oh My ZSH has developed and refined over over a decade now of development, they're a pretty good set of Git aliases okay. to copy in. Maybe you adjust some and uh, add your own, but they're good. And I tell you about setting this up in the book. I'll... Okay, you talk about setting it up? Yeah, okay. talk about it, setting is it up. Is it a more of a... This is are, are like sort of toggles inside of Oh My ZSH, or is it like an all or nothing kind of thing? Like how how... You know, committed are you as far as like saying I want to add you know all these different sort of quick aliases? Yeah, it, it acts as a plugin inside of OMI ZSH, okay. and the plugin is on by default. So everyone who installs OMI ZSH gets these Git aliases. Okay, they're ready to go. Yeah, and you could copy paste them into your own config if you don't want to use OMI ZSH. They're, they're, at the end of the day, aliases are pretty cheap, so yeah, adding a bunch into your spaces is not that bad. You can always unalias them okay. or unalias the ones you don't like. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay. Is that a recent turn for you or is that something you've used for a long time? I've used it for a long time. I used another project called ZPresdo for a bit in between, but I moved back to my ZSH because it's way more maintained and popular. Okay. <laughs> I have this experience where uh, I've not necessarily pair program, but like talked with other developers and then you see their setup <laughs> and you just sort of like, okay, what is the sort of spacecraft <laughs> cockpit <laughs> they've made their terminal into that I don't understand what they're doing? Um, do you feel like you've done that throughout this or is it you feel like somebody walking up to your terminal could just be able to, you know, type the normal commands that they know without it being like this super highly configured type of beast? I've done a bit of that in the past, and then as as I feel like I've matured as a developer, I've come back and be like, I don't need something so custom. Uh-huh. I don't need something that's so inscrutable. Um, so I use OMI ZSH, which is pretty widely used. Um, and if you didn't know about the aliases, yeah, you could use the normal commands. Right. I use Starship as the prompt, which is a nice... Okay little project that's come out that's like a cross shell prompt has a has a specific default style that's really good for everyone including like git details and there's really no need to configure it so 
nearly everyone who uses Starship uses that default theme. Okay. And so just I hope it'd look the same. Install the theme and you're ready to go. The only problem you'd find walking up to my computer is that I use the Cole Mac keyboard layout. So you probably wouldn't know that. <laughs> the what? <laughs> the Cole Mac keyboard layout. Oh, okay. Is that outside of the standard QWERTY? Is that like a it's, different type of thing? It's the third most popular after <laughs> QWERTY and Dvorak. Dvorak. Yeah. Oh, God. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. All right. When did you change that? Uh, yeah, like 10 years ago, more than 10 okay. years ago. And that was just like, I really want to, it helps you type faster or it's more around wrapped around with the way you think or I really wanted a challenge. <laughs> Why did you go there? I really wanted to avoid RSI. I was thinking, oh, okay. I'm going to be a professional programmer. I don't want to get RSI. <laughs> and the Colmac layout has is much less of that as far as like where stuff is. Like what what's the advantage? It's an estimated uh, half as much movement of your fingers hmm. for average typing of English. Okay. Or all the funky, I say funky, but all the, you know, punctuation and uh, types of things that you used in programming, are they still kind of on the outer edges or, or are they easier to get to also? Uh, they are still on the outer edges. It's not like Dvorak that puts loads of punctuation under the right hand, I think. Hmm. It, it's a bit closer to QWERTY. It okay. tries to move fewer letters. Yeah. How's that spelled? C-O-L-M-A-C? C-O-L-E-M-A-K. All right, I got to look at that. <laughs> to see what it is. Do you, when you did that, like just to, I know I'm going down a rabbit hole here, but did you use like a typing tutor or some other kind of way to kind of retrain your brain or you just, and has, has it always been an external keyboard then? Like I'm guessing you can't, you know, get a configured keyboard typically with it unless you're like popping key caps off or something. You can pop the key caps off. I, broke my first MacBook slightly doing that. <laughs> okay. like one of the keys still like flapped around a bit, but thankfully yeah, it was yeah. like a less typed letter. Okay. Yeah, you yeah, an external keyboard is the way there. Okay. Um are you a keyboard snob? You have a big clicky keyboard? Not clicky. My uh coworker slash wife would not uh, tolerate that. <laughs> yeah, the baby wouldn't enjoy it either, I guess. <laughs> I think he'd yeah. love it actually. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Those are fun to play. <laughs> well, I thought maybe we could kind of dig into, you know, we mentioned a couple of tools here of Oh My ZSH and, and Starship. Are there additional, like, I guess, sort of easy wins that you can think of that, that, someone who's looking to improve their developer experience that, that you can throw out there that either is like a third-party tool or or maybe just something that they're just not typically configuring? I'd like to highlight one of the things in Git that really I think should be the default Okay, from what I've seen. Um, when you're looking at a diff, Git actually generates that live from the old snapshot and the new snapshot. It doesn't store diffs despite what it might look like. Every time you're looking at the log, it's generating that diff by looking at the old file, the new file, and aligning the lines. Okay. And it's just live. It, yeah. It, even though it might not seem like it, every time we look at a commit, it's a diff, but actually that that's generated by an algorithm that defaults to something called Myers, which is like quite a simple algorithm for aligning which lines have changed and which lines haven't between the two versions of the file. Okay, but there's a there's a better algorithm that's been in Git for like 
a long while now called Histogram. Huh. And that's based on a mathematical histogram of counting like the types of lines there are. That helps align things, especially when there's repeating characters like braces. So if a brace line is trying to be aligned, that's a very common line, especially a closing brace in a bracy language. There might be like hundreds of lines that are closing braces. Yeah. So it will not try and align those. It will try and align the unique lines first. And that can really improve readability of diffs when like a few such blocks have moved around. Okay. Is that a fairly easy configuration change to do? Yeah. You just set the setting diff.algorithm to histogram. Okay. And everything will look better. I think GitHub and other code hosting sites might use it by default. So you might notice that diffs look better on GitHub than they do okay. on the command line. Or maybe you have noticed it and wondered what the heck yeah. that was. <laughs> or you, you were just staring at it on the command line. Like, I cannot see what, what the heck changed in this commit. Let me go check the pull request on GitHub. And then it seems clear. Okay. Yeah. So if somebody's looking to do that, where would they be searching? Would they be like, okay, I'm looking to change my diff algorithm? You need one command, which is git config dash dash global. Okay. Diff dot algorithm histogram. All right. That's the whole thing. That'll pop it into your global configuration file. Yep. Nice. So this global configuration file, we've mentioned a handful of things already that would land in there, like the autocorrect that yep. gets to be part of that also, right? What are other things that land in the configuration file that you can think of on top of your head? Yeah, there's pretty much something for every major command that I recommend in the book. Okay. Maybe not for like commit. Uh, no, there is one for commit. <laughs> okay. You know, probably for most commands, there is something that I would say it should be the default in Git. It isn't. So, hey, we're going to have to switch it on if we want to enjoy that slightly improved experience. So something that is, uh, I don't know, quote-unquote nice, uh, in like a IDE, touring its settings file, is very often you can kind of just peruse it, if you will, and just sort of like look through it and see, well, what are all the options? I feel like that's not the case here in this global uh, configuration file. I feel like it would be fairly empty, uh, initially, am I wrong about that? Like, you can't just go look through it and go, wow, maybe I should toggle that thing on or toggle it off. It, I feel like it's something that literally is getting added to the file, like a git ignore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. This file starts empty. You would, if you run one of these git config global commands, it will create it. Okay. And that'll be that. You can go read the git docs page on git config, which lists all the options. Yeah. I've done it, and I don't recommend it. <laughs> <laughs> You've done the work for them <laughs> to highlight what's what's nice about it. <laughs> I think there might be like a thousand options. Wow, okay. maybe more if you count all these like variants. Yeah, and yeah, that's the thing with the docs. Like they've grown organically since Git's creation in two thousand five, and every new option is on there. Okay, it's great that everything is documented. Yeah, yeah, but it's it's. It's a reference. It's not for the end user. Yeah, it's interesting. A bunch of experimental or super niche, like very, very niche. Like you only want this if you're running a Git server. And like there are a handful of companies running very large Git servers, that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. This week, I want to shine a spotlight on another RealPython video course. It's definitely connected to our main topic this week. Have you ever worked on a Python project that stopped working after you made a change here? 
or a PEP8 cleanup there, and you weren't quite sure how to get it back. Version control systems can help you solve that problem and other related ones. This video course is titled Introduction to Git and GitHub for Python Developers. It's based on a RealPython tutorial by previous guest, Jim Anderson. And in the video course, RealPython instructor, Paul Milis takes you through what is Git and how to use it for your personal projects, how to use it in conjunction with GitHub to work with other people on larger projects, how to create a repo, how to add both new and modified files, common Git commands like status, add, commit, pull, push, and more, and how to navigate through your project's history so you can get back to when your project was working. Git is one of the most popular version control systems today. I think it's a worthy investment of your time to dig into the fundamentals of Git and using GitHub as a Python developer. Like most of the video courses on real Python, this course is broken into easily consumable sections. It has a transcript, including closed captions. Check out the video course. You can find a link in the show notes, or you can find it using the search tool on realpython.com. Maybe we could talk a little bit about that sort of history, if you're comfortable talking about it. I yeah, don't know sure. if you, you do that at all in the book. Um, like kind of where, uh, you know, this idea of Git kind of came from. And I, I'm intrigued by what you're saying here. It sounds like as a project, generally things just seem to kind of get bolted on in some ways. And things just kind of added. I don't know if they've ever like refactored the whole thing and, and tried to streamline it at all. But kind of the way you're explaining things, it feels like these are, you know, it's like, you know, don't look under the hood <laughs> kind of thing. So yeah, what, yeah, maybe we can just cover a little bit of the history for you know, people who aren't familiar. Yeah, so Git was created by Linus Torvalds, the creator of Linux, for tracking the Linux project. Uh, in 2005, he created it, and I believe it was 2009 that he stepped down as the lead maintainer of Git okay. and handed it over to Junio Hermano, who's done the work since. So that's like a real stalwart of open source, like a long time making Git. Yeah. From before GitHub to now, it must have changed so much as a project. Yeah, my impression from like listening to Git podcasts, reading Git posts from core developers and the mailing list a little bit, yeah. is that, yeah, it's a kind of, classic open source anarchic project if you turn up with a change <laughs> that you want in and you manage to get it into a good enough shape it gets in okay. and gets merged all right there's yeah there's definitely a idea that it should work for everyone and let's add everything that everyone wants which is great for like the underlying tool but for something that people are using day to day the 90% of us who just want to commit and push something into the repo for others to see yeah there's not a curation then of the options and whatever to see yeah there's no overarching uh board <laughs> yeah yeah okay interesting you mentioned uh get podcasts i wasn't familiar i it, i of course there's a podcast about that you know <laughs> there's how many podcasts <laughs> about python out there so it's kind of kind of amazing was that part of your journey diving into this book? Like, let me see what all the different resources are out there. Yeah, definitely. I I didn't think that there were Git podcasts actually when I started out. And I found two, which are Git Notes and the Git Podcast, something like that. Okay. They're both they're both defunct for a few years now. 
Uh, okay. So that's the things come and go yeah. <laughs> technology stuff. It, it's pretty, the energy level has to take a lot to sustain, you know, going past like even yeah. 50 or more than that episodes. Are there any other like extra tools that you want to shine a, a light on uh, as we kind of wrap up some of the, the secrets that we're sharing? Cause there's a ton in the book. I, I, I <laughs> Somebody should just go and read the table of contents because it will give you a really good outline of like what is in there. And there's just a, a, a ton of great features in there. I'm very excited to to dig into it myself. But is there uh, another like a uh, little tool you'd want to share? Uh, let's squeeze one in. I'd say Delta. Okay. Git has a pluggable system for the formatting of diffs on the command line. Hmm. Well, not just diffs, like more of its output, basically. Mostly the diffs other stuff as well like blame output and delta is one such tool that can plug in it's like a, a newer one built in rust by someone from twitter okay and it's really nice it does it does syntax highlighting of the code so it looks a lot more like what you'd see on the github ui so you're looking at the code and then which lines have added are highlighted in green at background and which ones have been removed have a red background okay so it lets you really skim through like what's changed a lot better. And I think it's what makes the command line experience a lot more comfortable for me. Nice. You actually created a little tool, uh, speaking of sort of color highlighting, yes. um, that is now one of your many projects that you maintain. Uh, we'll include a link to it because we mentioned quite a few when we were discussing the Django developer experience book. You had a whole whole bunch of them, like, I don't know, maybe you mentioned like four or five of them, but you created one for this particular project. Um, do you want to talk about that? Yeah, it's called Pigments Kit. Um, Pigments is the Python-based formatter, uh, highlighter for code that uh, is used pretty much everywhere. Yeah, yeah. GitHub used to use it, but now they use a Ruby fork and many other tools use pigments like the Python docs and anything else that uses Sphinx. I was finding that my Git output was a bit dry to read because there's some color to Git's output on the command line. It's not yeah, it's not very, very pretty, but it's, it's there and it helps its readability. And plain text in the book wasn't helping with that. So I try to write a pigments plugin that adds some Git formatters that add that highlighting back in. Okay. But somebody who's not looking to do screen grabs find it useful just to kind of prettify what, what they're doing inside yeah. their terminal? If you're if you're blogging about Git, uh, it, it might come in handy. I'm using it on my blog and in the book, and I don't know if anyone else is using it. So. <laughs> well, now they know. <laughs> Check it out. Yeah, cool. All right. Well, I have these weekly questions I like to ask everybody. And uh, mm -hmm. you suggested uh, uh, an additional one, which I think is really good. Uh, I normally ask, you know, what are you excited about in the world of Python? We can get to that. But let's start with uh, what are you excited about in the world of Git? I'd say a couple things. One is the, the future of Git, which I feel like then is maybe going to be a Git compatible tool. So a nicer front end that works for the majority of us who are just doing our day-to-day -day dev work. Okay. There are a couple out there that we will see if they get adoption. One is called Sapling. That's made by Facebook slash Meta. And one is called Jujitsu. That's a slightly less developed, but has an interesting approach. 
Are they, you say a front end, are they like a GUI kind of a graphical type of thing or something else? No, command line front end. Oh, command line. Okay. Um, so you're no longer typing git commit, you're typing, I think it's SP for sampling, for example, and then a command. Okay. And they have more modernized command line output, prettier stuff. It looks a bit more like the Rust compiler or whatever we want to say as a pretty command line thing okay. these days. Yeah. And some opinions, like I think sampling, when you look at the log by default, it doesn't show anyone else's commits. It's like, well, you probably only care about the things you're working on. So we'll just do dot, dot, dot for everyone else's stuff. Hmm. Okay. So that's giving you a lot more configured, opinionated feedback on what you just did. It's it's yeah. providing that stuff and that is helping with the experience. And trying to... Sh- trying to simplify this experience like do you really need to like git add things before you commit or could it just be you run commit and by default that puts all the changed things in oh, okay yeah okay so it's it's potentially assisting with multiple steps in that process yeah okay nice do you have a favorite out of the two or are you picky I can't say I've looked into either enough to have an opinion okay I do think the git command line will be around for quite a while regardless of if something seems to be more popular because there's so many tutorials out there telling you how to use Git. Oh, yeah, yeah. What are you excited about in the world of Python right now? Django 5.0 yeah. comes out in December. Okay. It's a feature pack release. Uh, there's a lot of goodies in there for us Django Nauts. It's got database-level defaults and generated fields. They're probably my two favorite features there. Cool. So... Really going to simplify database management with Django. Nice. Yeah, we were just mentioning the feature freeze and the alpha release. Um, so yeah, it 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 feels like the numbers are ramping up so fast. But I, I guess I'm way deeper in Python lately. But like when I was starting, mm-hmm. I don't know, five years ago, <laughs> I felt like you know Django one point whatever forever. It just kept going, and then like suddenly it was like two, three, four, five. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, I guess it's similar in the sense that Python's, you know, changed to a yearly cadence, which has been interesting, too. Yeah. Um, yeah. So what what's the long-term release would be for 5, then? It would be like just after 5? Oh? Django has a specific release policy of it's always a new major version, point zero, point one, and then point two is the LTS. Okay. And then it takes over to the new new major version. The new major version doesn't really indicate this is a big one with a bunch of features that are going to break your stuff. It's like, <laughs> hey, there's there's a new cycle, and we might bit more a bit more experimental stuff in the point zero. Yeah. And then the point two, everything's fixed for the long term cycle. So, I mean, maybe we could just talk about it briefly. But you've been a, a contributor for a while. Do you want to talk about your history working on the Django project? Yeah, sure. I've worked with Django since 2012. I started contributing in 2014, just some minor things and some third-party package stuff. Okay. And then a couple years later, I was invited into the what was then called core team. And since then, I've just continued contributing. Had some jobs where I didn't do so much, and then that wasn't so much fun. So I decided to start on my own as like a Django-based consultant, and that's given me a lot of opportunities to feed back into Django and the wider community. Yeah, I bet I bet a lot of stuff comes up in the process. Out of <laughs> It's been interesting kind of watching 
the Django community, like right now, literally as we're recording, and this will be passed when it comes out, the current Django con is happening and you were just sort of lamenting <laughs> not being able to go uh, yep. this year. Uh, how often have you been able to go to the conference? I've only ever been to DjangoCon Europe. Oh, okay. This is DjangoCon US that's on right now. Yeah. I set myself like this, like a goal in 2020, just as it started. I was like, I'm going to all three DjangoCons that will be on this year, Europe, US, and Africa. Wow. And that was 2020, so that didn't happen. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, we talked about uh, DjangoCon Europe. I had a few, few people on and the, the stuff that was happened to, supposed to happen in Porto and then it got moved. And yeah, that was quite the, the challenge I had those guys on. But yeah, eventually... It, it happened mm-hmm. you're back in Europe. <laughs> yeah. So. Um, and DjangoCon Africa was delayed, and this will be the first year it actually happens. Oh, okay. On the 16th of November. Yep. Okay, nice. So that will be exciting to see. Yep. Well, we'll include a link for that. So what's something that you want to learn next? Again, this doesn't have to be programming or Python specific. It could be just something that you want to learn about. Well, one thing after writing two books with the same kind of title pattern boosts your DX. <laughs> I'm like, sh- should I just keep going? <laughs> uh, yeah. Like, I'm. I mean, I use a lot of ZSH. Sh- sh- should I try and figure out all of the most useful patterns? And some of these ZSH t- tr- tricky word ZSH specific features. Yeah, yeah. That people might not be aware of, like the Z move command that does like templated copy paste templated moving you're definitely in the the era where it's becoming more prevalent so (laughs) yes indeed yeah but maybe i'll just take a break on writing for the time being okay take a little rest takes a little bit out of me uh just do some blogging whenever i feel like it yeah yeah we'll definitely talk Um, about that in fact you know how can people follow the work that you do online mm -hmm. your blog would be the first place right yes adamj.eu is my blog even though the UK has left the EU. I still have a .eu domain. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And I'm also on Mastodon at Adam Chains with a Z at Fosterdon.org and the same username on Twitter at Adam Chains. Nice. In our PyCoders episodes with Christopher Trudeau and myself, mm-hmm. we definitely have uh, featured a, a few things from your writings on there. So I, I appreciate the blog. There's a lot of really good stuff on there. There's a bunch of stuff on Git. If you want to get kind of a preview of some of the stuff from the book that there's definitely a handful of things on there and totally suggest people check it out. Or if you're a Django person, there's a wealth of information there and maybe eventually Z ZSH stuff (laughs) (laughs) as you start to work out. Yeah. (laughs) Have there, has there been any other interesting things that you would blogged about recently outside of uh, Git? Uh, I've just been too focused on this for the yeah, last yeah. small period. Yeah, yeah, makes sense. Yeah, <laughs> I've got a few things I've worked on on client projects with Django that I'd like to okay uh, turn into posts. Yeah, I guess that is uh, always kind of a fertile ground, you know, working on on stuff out there in the field and going coming back and saying, "Well, I could write about this." Uh, give you lots of ideas. Especially people tend to ask me the most interesting questions. <laughs> All right. Well, Adam, thanks again for coming on the show. And and I'm excited to uh, share your new book with with our audience here. Uh, Thanks again. Thank you for having me. And don't forget, TyPy is designed to reduce your development time radically and provides all the functionalities you need 
to build and deploy entire applications. So what are you waiting for? Pip install TiePy. That's T-A-I-P-Y. I want to thank Adam Johnson for coming on the show again this week. And I want to thank you for listening to the Real Python podcast. Make sure that you click that follow button in your podcast player. And if you see a subscribe button somewhere, remember that the Real Python podcast is free. If you like the show, please leave us a review. You can find show notes with links to all the topics we spoke about inside your podcast player or at realpython.com slash podcast. And while you're there, you can leave us a question or a topic idea. I've been your host, Christopher Bailey, and I look forward to talking to you soon.